0: Amen. Let's take a moment to hear the Word of God read together. We're going to open up the Word of God in Numbers chapter 14, verse 13 and following. I remind you, beloved, this is the very written Word of God. And it says, But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face, uh, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord is not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them, that he has killed them in the wilderness." And now, please let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of these uh, who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he, was a different, he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all of your number, and of all your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the Lord or the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness. 40 years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men who Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Of those who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. When Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went, out, went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, Why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when uh, that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Horma. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you so much for attending to the word today and hearing that story. It's a very important story. Um, It speaks to the essence of who God is. There's a story I heard once of a man who was new to the neighborhood and he went around the neighborhood walking around trying to meet people. Uh, The only person he encountered was a young boy playing in the yard, his front yard, and he he said, hey uh, son, Uh, What is your, uh, you know, basically introducing himself saying, hey, what does your father do? And the son of the the father of the house there says, he shaves his face every day. And I I yeah, okay, yeah, excellent. That's good information to know, uh, but uh, not really what the man was looking for as far as information. You know, if that's all you know about your father, that's a noteworthy thing. He shaves his face every day, but uh, again, not what was most uh, essential to be communicated in that regard. So in the previous text, the spies have been given a glimpse of the promised land. Remember, they were called to go into the land to spy it out or scout it out and come back with a report. How beautiful the land was and great for it's flowing with milk and honey and to bring back fruit from the land and to scout out the cities and the fortifications because what they're about to do is to enter into the land to go north uh, through the Negev uh, into the valleys and the, and, the, and the hill country and then up to Mount Hermon and take the land. This is where they're going. They're, they've been set free from Egypt and now they're going to possess the promised land. All that remains is to, come, is to hear the report of the spies and to trust the Lord's promise to give this land to the descendants of Abraham. It's finally here, but it doesn't go according to plan. Ten spies come back and bring a majority report that says the people of the land are too big. The cities are too big. Uh, the land will devour us. There will be no way we could do this. Caleb and Joshua, notably two out of 12 spies, say, we will go up into the land. The Lord will surely do it. He's surely able, and we are surely able because he is able. Now, at this point, the ten cause a mutiny, and we've seen echoes or shadows of this prior uh, against Moses and Aaron's leadership, and they are now seeking to murder Moses and Aaron and have made a, a plan to go back to Egypt. This We're going to elect new leaders and go back to Egypt. That is the context. That's the setup for this story. At the end of the story, uh, just as about as the stones are about to be thrown and, and Aaron and Moses are going to be crushed, and Joshua and Caleb as well, the Lord's presence appears and sh- overshadows each and every person and he speaks and he calls to Moses and Moses now enters into a prayer and that is where we begin in verse 13 a response to almost certain destruction for the people uh, God has just said I am going to wipe them out and start over with you Moses uh, you know you ever see that meme where it's got a supposed picture of Jesus and 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 the, and the, and the says, flood it again. <laughs> it's like this like idea of like, he flooded it once. It's so bad, we've got to flood it again. You know, it's like this idea of like, God is, is expressing a desire to wipe out the progress and begin again freshly with Moses as sort of the new Noah. Well, uh, at this point, Moses sees that as a undesirable plan, namely for the reputation of God, right? So that all these spies had gazed into the heart of the promised land, saw it was beautiful. But what we get here in the prayer of Moses and the response of God is a vision of the glorious attributes of God. Uh, Far more glorious than the promised land is the God himself who gives the promised land. So God has given us a spying out of the land, but he's given us a spying out of the heart of the Lord in this prayer and in in the Lord's response. So the rest of chapter 14 is concluding with this prayer. Moses is speaking to God and God's returning speech to Moses. And then Moses goes and tells the people what God has said. And you see the ill-fated attempt to take the land, uh, which is disastrous. So from this tragic event, God's people who are reading this later on, like us, are to learn that we, too, will sin. But when we do sin, we're to learn that we have an advocate with the Father, a greater Moses, a mediator, right, who actually, in Christ our Lord and Redeemer, approaches the throne for us, and we, in in turn, also approach the throne with adoration, with supplication, with confession according to God's will. We, through Christ, approach the Lord Himself uh, like Moses has. Now, what, it, what is it uh, you do when you're faced with a problem? When I studied under, in undergraduate studies, you know, uh, back at SMU in Dallas, I was learning to be an engineer. And when I was becoming, becoming an engineer, one of the things we learned was uh, we, had, we were instructed to identify a specific problem in engineering and then you would brainstorm all the potential solutions for that problem and you'd rank them out as far as their feasibility and desirability and then compare them and come up with the best of the options that you have and then execute it. In the face of such a dire situation, Moses didn't brainstorm potential solutions. He immediately acted with the only solution that made any sense. You know, it was not something he was just trying. It's that his prayer was not some program that he did. It's just what he was. He was someone who spoke with God face-to-face, had spent so much time with God. When there's a problem, he knows exactly what must be done. I must go straight to God, and this is a God-instituted problem. So he goes to God to seek the solution and the reconciliation. So only uh, when we view ourselves as needy servants uh, who have been befriended by a gentle master, and a sovereign master as Moses has been, will we ever do the right thing? Uh, If we ever feel, uh, or have thought, or have said, you know, we're too busy to pray, uh, we have fundamentally misunderstood every fact about ourselves, and every fact about the universe. If we've ever thought we're fundamentally too busy to pray, said that, felt that, we just aren't understanding everything. We've got to get a better eye. It's like the guy who says, hey, my dad's the guy who shaves his face every day. We have such a superficial knowledge of who we are and who, who God is that we do not get it. We have to get it. And this is a warning sign to us to get it. Uh, we, sin is such, a, such an enemy. The devil is such an enemy, and the world is such a problem for us. Sin is deceitful. If we do not understand this, we are easy prey. Uh, we are, we are going to uh, be victim to a lot of suffering and sorrow. As these uh, poor Israelites were uh, now emphasizing, uh, you know, in the Bible, sometimes when you think about prayer, you know, like, there's a lot in the Bible about prayer, lots of it. I mean, lots of lots of texts about it, right? In a lot of teaching about prayer, you get this sort of, hey, it's obligated; you've got to pray. Uh, Paul says in First uh, Thessalonians five seventeen, "Pray without ceasing." You know, it's a, it's like this obligation on you, Now it's like. So it's like, I don't know how many of you are adults, but when, you, when you're adults and you, and, you, and you feel like you need to call home or call the parents and then you don't for a while, then you kind of have this guilt, like hitting you, I haven't, I haven't called home, I haven't been home in a while, and then it's like, uh, there's more reason to not do it because you kind of like expect this sort of this guilt trip of like, why haven't you called ahead of, you know, it's like, you feel like God's waiting on you to call him, and if you don't do it, then he's going to be more disappointed with you than you are now. You're obligated; it's sort of an obligation to do this. And so, when you're praying, and you're not you're not praying, and then you feel like when you start to pray, God's going to be like, "Really? <laughs> now you want to pray? I mean, like, now you come to me?" Is that the way we feel about like this? It's like an obligation. It's like I'm failing at the obligation, so God's going to like look at me and judge me and think that I'm uh, make me feel bad about myself and prayer. Uh, that's not how it works. Um, now it is. Commanded we should do it. It's certainly obligated for us, but we don't think of it as an obligation. We think of it as a necessity and essential for life to pray. Petitions, right? It's rightly understood these are prayers or petitions based upon our dependence upon God that we understand that we need Him. We need Him. We we have to do this. It makes no sense to not do it. So in the Lord's Prayer, it begins uh, with, uh, or it, it flows into, Give us this day our daily bread, right? Bread is a necessity. Uh, like if we don't have food, we will die. Uh, and, if we, and so the bread representing their food give us our necessities. If, we, if God does not give it, we will not have it. So when are we to pray? Of course, we're to pray all the time, as Paul says, without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. But that's not an obligation, but our necessity. That is who we are. We are people who pray all the time. So of course he's going to say, Pray without ceasing. He's not saying pray without ceasing in order to justify yourself. He's saying that's who you are. You are people who pray without ceasing. So pray without ceasing. That's the Lord is the Lord for a reason. We pray for our daily bread, so why are we not praying all the time for things extraordinary and things ordinary? We are in a constant relationship with God. Why are we not praying more is the question. So Paul's is ex- exhorting them, pray without ceasing. Uh, in the beginning of that section in 1 Thessalonians, in verse 9, he says, For God is not destined to us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So fundamental to understand prayer. We have received a Savior who died for us, that we might live with him. Whether or not we are awake, living, or asleep, dead, we live with Him. Beautiful words. Beautiful truth to start with when you think about prayer. We pray all the time. When is the time to pray? First point. All the time because we live with Him. Beautiful point. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you're doing. Uh, we ask you, brothers, we have this, you know, this, this is continuing in First Thessalonians, of course, 5.12. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord to admonish you and esteem them highly in love because of their work, be at peace. We urge you, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See, no one repays evil for evil. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, to live with him. Rejoicing, praying, admonishing, respecting, see to that uh, people aren't paying evil, uh, evil for good, uh, it says, not quenching the spirit, not despising his word, testing, holding fast, abstaining from every form of evil. This is who we are. Uh, it's, it's like abstaining from, uh, from every form of evil is not just an obligation, it's a necessity as well. Uh, this is who you are. Uh, this is the words that Paul says. And he says this to close out that section. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. God does it. God sanctifies you. You may and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. God will do it. So, so do all these things, and the answer is God will sanctify you entirely. He is able to do it. So fruitful, life-giving prayer rests on that conviction that we know we need God. Just as we began in the gospel, we needed God entirely because we were more sinful than we could ever understand, but strangely more loved than we could ever fathom in Christ. And As we see that, this this becomes a personal, prayer becomes a personal, relational interaction between a dependent servant and a gracious gentle master for us. When? All the time. Now, it's not shopping. It's like We don't just bring our list of requests, you know, to to the Lord. It's not shopping. Um, It's not one of many solutions, but it's a necessity. It's essential to who we are. Uh, So one of the most important things uh, we can do is to pray, obviously, uh, and it's relational. You know, and it's to to speak to God, right? You know, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes a prayer, uh, you can hear a prayer, and it could be just as much wishing on a star, Right, because it's not particularly Christian. It's just here's my li- here's my shopping list, like so. Like we're calling upon the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these are persons in the one Godhead, and they have particular attributes and roles that they play in our lives. Sometimes we prefer to go to Amazon or Walmart, pick up, and just click Buy It Now and avoid the whole relationship thing because we are fools. Uh, But we can take the time to address the Lord, uh, who we are dependent upon with all of uh, our needs, with all of our time, continually. Uh, So so in this week, i would give you a couple couple homework assignments. Number one, take three times this week, take a few minutes, and don't ask for anything. Just pray. Pray to God and tell him who he is. Uh, That's what Moses is going to be doing, telling him who he is. Tell him how much you appreciate that, what that means to you, and what it means for uh, the world that this is who the Lord is. So tell him his qualities back to him. Focus on the different, maybe, maybe focus on three different things. One time, take one thing, second time, another thing, a third time, a different thing about God that you love and appreciate. Um, and then uh, one of the most important things you can do for your children uh, is to pray for them. Pray for your children. One of the most important things you as a child can do is pray for your parents. Uh, it's, it's not about, hey, uh, getting them into the right schools, right, or, or, the, or getting the right you know, stuff for them. Uh, the most fundamental thing you can do to love your kids, pray for them, and vice versa, for children to honor their parents is to pray for the children. Uh, these are relationships we all have. Uh, that We can express uh, love for one another through our dependence upon God for the good of the other person. So we pray, as we express our relationship with God. Moses uh, is noteworthy for being called the one who spoke face to face with God. In verse 33, or, uh, sorry, Exodus 33, verse 11, uh, God spoke to Moses," it says, as one speaks face to face with a friend. Now, at the Ten Commandments giving, in Exodus 20, it says that God speaks face-to-face with the people as he thunders out the Ten Commandments, right? But that was a terrifying situation. Moses speaks to the Father like Jesus does. Uh, there's, this, uh, there's this closeness where he gets to speak face-to-face uh, on the basis of Jesus, ultimately. And he proclaims Christ to us in his doing so, uh, where we will get to speak to him face-to-face. Now, let's talk about this real quickly. Um, We do not experience this material closeness to the Lord that Moses did. However, we experience a spiritual closeness that is known to believers uh, that uh, Old Covenant believers simply didn't have. Uh, Moses had to be on a mountain in a particular place. We can be anywhere in the world and have the spiritual closeness that Moses had uh, in any place because of the spiritual closest intimacy we have with the Father. As if so, the spiritual face-to-faceness. Someday the faith will become sight, and we will have the material face-to-face that Moses was—we were getting a glimpse of in the old covenant. But as you see here, it will one day be fully material, fully spiritual—the intimacy and union we have with the Lord uh, in the face-to-face dynamic. Uh, it says uh, in, in Deuteronomy 5 that the Lord spoke to you face to face. Again, that was a terrifying situation. We now don't, aren't terrified. We speak face-to-face spiritually because Christ has shielded us, and we wear the righteousness of Christ. So we do not, we're not terrified because we are sinners. We are called his saints by the blood of Christ. There's a huge blessing that we have in Christ as we have the ministry of the Spirit to us. Uh, it says at the end of Deuteronomy that there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel since, uh, since in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. No one was like Moses. But you know what Hebrews 3 says? Jesus is greater than Moses. And we live in Christ, not Moses. Face to face, we live in face to face fellowship with God. So when do we pray? All the time, of necessity. It's of our essence. We express our love toward our God as we approach Him face to face. Think about this. Moses seemed to have this uninterrupted line to the Lord. Uh, He didn't have to call ahead and say, Lord, can you clear off your calendar? Uh, He didn't have to set up time to meet with God. God didn't have to clear up any time on the schedule to visit with Moses. So it is today with us, spiritually speaking. Uh, Not physically, but spiritually speaking in the new covenant. The ministry of the Holy Spirit brings God to us and us to God. That's how it works. The ministry of the Spirit brings God to us, but we feel like it's obligation. We don't feel the reality of that union and communion we have with him because we are trained to think in obligation terms. God's not happy with me, I haven't prayed enough, I need to pray more, and then he'll be happy with me. That's not how it works. That's not how it goes. We come to him already connected through Christ. uh, And we, of course, come to him confessing our sins because we're connected to Christ. Not to make ourselves holy or righteous or clean, because we're already clean, though we have dabbled in sin, though we have uh, dishonored God. We come grieving over those offenses and miseries and sins, but we do so out of the safety and work of Christ. That's how prayer works. So what should we be praying about? Uh, How does prayer work? What do we do? Well, look at Moses' prayer. In verse 13, you see that he starts to speak uh, about what the Egyptians are going to think, the world's going to think. It's all about how the Lord is going to be perceived. You know how the Lord's prayer starts? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Right? The key about prayer is we begin with thinking about God's glory. Prayer appeals to the name and the glory of God. There's no higher end when we pray. We seek nothing higher than the glory of God. You know, Knox, who has memorized the Shorter Catechism, knows the first question. What's the chief end of man? The man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. that's something that he knows, and not many people know in this world. Like, thankfully, we know this from an early age in our church. That is the chief end of man, the purpose of man. Uh, and so we don't turn that off when we pray. That's still, the, that's still the chief end when we pray. Glorify God, enjoy him. Hallow his name. That's what we do. First thing, that's what Moses is doing, hallowing his name. He's saying, look at your reputation around the world. The Egyptians are going to think you're, you're a fool or you're unable you're not sovereign because you couldn't bring the people in. That's what he's saying. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you, whatever you do, do so to the glory of God. Moses is concerned in his prayer. His chief concern in his prayer is not the people. It's the glory of God. That's fascinating. That's mind-blowing right there. It's not a shopping list. It begins with, Lord, you've got to do something about your name, your glory. You must be glorified. That's who you are. Let's consider this, right? Fascinating. So Moses then proceeds to reason with God. Verse 15, if you kill the people, the nations are going to hear of your fame and say it's because the Lord can't do this, right? They're going to think that he can't do it. Then in 17, it says, please let the power of the Lord be great as you've promised, saying. And he quotes Exodus 34. And also the second commandment, he quotes and he says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. So the ask then in verse 19 is, please pardon the iniquity of his people according to your steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you've forgiven the people from Egypt until now. He's appealing on the basis of that promise. But he doesn't bring in the whole scripture. He's just simply appealing to the forgiveness part of that, right? And you know what the Lord says? Yes. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, which is really God's word. He's used your word is God's word. He's saying, I've pardoned according to that word. So when we're talking about what do we pray, how does prayer work? We pray for the glory of God, right? Uh, we pray according to God's revealed will, His Word revealed to us, we can use to God. Uh, we speak to God about who He is and His glory. And we make an asks. We, we say pardon the people according to this, who you are, your promises, what, you're supposed to, what, what you say you are, who you are. So the big secret on how prayer works is no prayer ever is going to work apart from the steadfast love of God. No prayer works apart from that. None. It says in uh, Deuteronomy five nine and ten. This is the recounting of the of the um, second commandment. You shall not bow down or serve them, these false gods, these idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Part of this. Who God is, is he shows steadfast love to those who love him and keep his commandments. It's right there in the second commandment, in the foundation of so many prayers throughout the Bible. When Solomon asked for wisdom in First in, in in Kings 3, 6, he begins with, You've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and upright in his heart toward you. You've kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on the throne this very day. You've kept your word. You've shown steadfast love to him. Therefore, grant me wisdom, because I need wisdom to rule. That's right. He he makes the ask on the basis of the steadfast love of God, which he's shown to David the Father. Now show it to him. Again, at the dedication of the temple, he says, and Solomon says in uh, 1 Kings 8, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you in heaven above the earth, or uh, heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You've kept with your servant David, my father, what you've declared to him. You spoke with your mouth, with your hand, fulfilled to this day. Namely, this temple's been built. He, he starts to ask on the basis of the steadfast love. you fulfilled your promises. Help me, then he says. So also, the temple gets destroyed. Then Ezra, in Ezra 3.11, as the temple's being rebuilt, they sang songs responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. In Ezekiel, I mean, Ezra 311, it says, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So, so we're thinking about prayer. We've got to think about the glory of God, right, his word, namely the steadfast love of the Lord is the foundation of any answered prayer. It's all according to the steadfast love and his faithfulness to his people. When the, when the temple is completed, sure enough, in Nehemiah 9:32, 32, uh, Therefore, O God, our God, the great and mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon kings and our princes and priests, fathers, prophets, on the basis of your steadfast love, you've been righteous and all that's come upon us you've dealt faithfully we've acted even when we've acted wickedly that's what Nehemiah 9 22 23 says psalm 136 it repeats that refrain the steadfast love of the lord endures forever and that's just one of hundreds of examples of prayers in the psalms that speak to the steadfast love of the lord Psalm 144.1, David says, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. As you go to to work, how does he do it? He is my steadfast love, my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield. He is in whom I have refuge, who subdues peoples under me. This would be a win for us today if we started using the word steadfast love in our prayers and internalizing what that meant. That would be a win uh, in this sermon, in this day. Uh, the prophets foretold the coming of Christ. Why did they believe Christ was going to come? And what were they talking about? Micah seven eighteen, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression, as Moses talked about earlier, for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Therefore, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Steadfast love in Christ, treading our sins underfoot. In like manner, we don't pray for God's steadfast love for us on the basis of David, on the basis of Abraham, but the love the Father has for Christ. That is the basis of a steadfast love that he has on us. Because of our union with Christ, we can go to the throne of God with grace and receive help based on the steadfast love eternally focused and unmoving upon the Son, Christ. Uh, so why prayer works? First, so what do we pray? So, when should we pray? All the time, everywhere, of necessity. We should pray, how does I mean, it work, or what are we supposed to be doing in it? Uh, for the glory of God, hallowing His name, making asks uh, on the basis of His steadfast love. And why prayer works? Well, God never does anything unjust. No, he, he even in his answering of the prayer, forgiving the people, he starts to bring justice on them. He's always just, always just. But the strange thing is the believers can appeal to the steadfast love upon the basis of justice because we in Christ are righteous, justified in him. So it's just that God gives us all these covenant blessings according to his steadfast love, though we are yet still sinners and committing sins, though we are still uh, in need of help from the presence of sin that we still have, and the the abiding presence in it, the guilt we have been forgiven of, but we still have the presence of it. And so why prayer works? God never does anything unjust. It always works out justly because he works it, and he does so by the word. God works out the answers to prayer by the word. The word of God is not just words about how God works. The word of God is God's work. And the working out of God's will, he accomplishes his purposes by the word. When he created, he did so by speaking it into existence. When he redeemed, he did it through the word, Jesus Christ. He said what he was going to do, and then he did it. And in Providence, it says in Hebrews 1, 3, that the Lord Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. The Word of God answers prayers. The Word of God established all things, heaven and earth. The Word of God redeems according to this plan revealed in time. And the Word of God upholds the universe by His power. In Psalm 19, it says that the Word of God pours forth speech day after day in the sun, the moon, all the stars, all the things that He's made. God upholds all things. And He ordains that your prayers will bring about His Word, His providence, His providence. God answers prayers, yes. In verse 20, God says, I have pardoned according to your word. In other words, I've listened to you. Your prayer was the means that I used when I pardon. Isn't that interesting? God's full of mercy and justice, as he says here. Fatherly kindness and fatherly discipline, as he says there. Uh, But he's forgiven, but just, uh, just punishment, consequences, and curses remain. None of those who have put God to the test will enter into the land, except Caleb. Except Caleb. Punishment and consequences will be commensurate with the transgressions. So they went into the land for 40 days, and they didn't believe God's promises, so God's going to give them 40 years of journeying through the wilderness and enduring that in commensurate proportion to their unbelief. Also, they come back reporting that their children will become prey for the nations in the land. Their children are now going to become shepherds, like Moses in the wilderness. As Moses was 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd, so these children will be. Contrary to what they say and the fantasy that they believe that they're unable to to take the land, they will, their children will, they will not become prey, but they will be the ones who take the land along with Caleb and Joshua. Now, who will fall Pray, It will be the majority, who fall. the majority report. All those who were named in the census, that great number that we, that we listed out in Numbers 1. All the men 20 years and above, fighting age, will die in the wilderness according to God's justice. He doesn't suspend his justice because of his steadfast love. Uh, you see that he will lead them. Uh, He will tell them, as discipline, to go toward the Red Sea. They will go the opposite direction. Red Sea is south. They're going to decide to go north. God's justice comes down upon them again, and they get routed by these Canaanites, these Amalekites, and they're chased down to Hormah. Hormah is a village at the extreme borders of Canaan, which would eventually become part of Judah's inheritance. Joshua 15, 30 tells us about that. You can oppose the word of God, but the word of God will bring down justice upon those who oppose his word. Uh, In our terms today, it's if you oppose Jesus. There is no future. There is no hope for you. Uh, His word is revealed in Jesus. And if you oppose Jesus, there is no goodness for you in your future. There is no promised land. There is no hope. There is no eternal life. Only in Jesus Jesus. That's how prayer works. Uh, the word of God will still bring down judgment upon those who disobey the word of God and who go against it. Right? You see, God answers prayers, yes, according to his word, according to his steadfast love, and accomplishes it by his word. These people who have obeyed, disobeyed actually, will have their bodies scattered in the wilderness. And that scattering language is used of, uh, of when uh, armies uh, scatter bodies on the battlefield. They won't actually go and fight any battles. You know who they fought against? They've tested the Lord. They put the Lord to the test. They've battled against the Lord, and they're going to be defeated by the Lord in the wilderness. Does God always answer yes to prayers? Matthew 7 says, if we have not asked, and, you know, if you, who, who asked their father for a fish, and the father gives him a serpent, Right? If, the, if you fathers, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts, certainly the Heavenly Father does, right? Ask. Ask, and it will be given to you. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount. But in Matthew 26, you see a strange occurrence. Jesus makes an ask, and God upholds his justice and his steadfast love in saying no to Jesus for his covenant people. Uh, It says uh, in that verse in Matthew 26 at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. God said, No, uh, I will not let this cup pass. You will drink it. Prayer engages us with that truth that the justice of God has been satisfied on Christ for us, And we close our prayers or pray in the name of Jesus. We pray face to face in union with God through the name of Jesus, through the work that he has accomplished for us. And therefore, our eyes look to our God till he has mercy upon us. Psalm 132, or 123, 2. Our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of a master. In Psalm 62, verse 8, it says, Trust in the Lord at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is our refuge. Why? Because of Christ. We pray in the name of Christ. We pray in the name of Christ. This this singular story, the spies going to the land and coming back and disbelieving God's promises, is used all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture as an example for the people. It's used, and I'm going to just throw a few numbers at you here. Numbers 32. At the at the two and a half tribes wanting to stay on the other la- side of the land, Moses appeals to this example to not discourage the people. In Deuteronomy one, it's recounted. In Deuteronomy eight two, in Psalms ninety five and one oh six, in Amos two ten in Amos 5, 25, 1 Corinthians ten, and in Hebrews three seven and through four thirteen. How does prayer work? What does it do? Uh, when we recount these kind of stories that we should, we should take this story and pray, we're going to see that we are danger, we're in danger of being hardened by sin. Sin is deceitful, and we are no different than the spies who believed and the people who believed the grumbling testimony and became grumblers himself. We can use this story as fuel to help us to not fall away from God. Not enough falling away from salvation, but by being led into sin and deceitfulness and hardness of sin, and to bring scandal upon God and destroy our brother. In Hebrews 3, 7, it says, Today if you hear his voice, quoting Psalm 95, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was provoked that generation, saying, They always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways, as I swore my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Then the author of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any, any of you and any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, just as it was a danger for them. It's a danger for us because the, the devil prowls like a lion, as Peter says, looking to devour his prey. He wants to throw you off course. You're to take on the, the, the spiritual armor and go to battle. We're to, we're to stand on the day uh, and fight. So prayer according to God's word reminds us and works in us the conviction that without faith and living by faith, walking by faith, we're going to perish. We're going to suffer and, and consequence to our sins. But through faith, we will enter rest. We will. Faith in Christ as Israel eventually entered the promised land. Consider, finally, Caleb, the faithful spy. What's the second act of his life? We should pray about this. We should thank the Lord for this, this story. That's recorded for us in Joshua 15, 13 through 14. It says this, according to the commandment of the Lord to to Joshua, he gave to Caleb, the son of Jehunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out there the sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahaman, and Talmay, the descendants of Anak. This, the, the, the spies had come back and said, they're sons of Anak in Hebron. There's no way we can take them out. The whole 600,000 of them cowered at this. One man, Caleb, is going to go and dispatch the giants himself. Because in Christ we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. As Caleb was, we will not be afraid Though the devil stands against us, the world stands against us, uh, one man with God is always in the majority, as Caleb was. And he casts out the giants, and he takes their land. (laughs) He takes their place as a a promise to him. Caleb himself would drive out three giants who terrified ten unbelieving spies and a whole nation. God gives us desires of our hearts according to his steadfast love, and he delights in that because he's accomplished that justice in Christ to give us the desires of our hearts, and He's good enough to us to change the desires of our hearts to where they're beautiful and wonderful, and He loves to give these things. So the yes of our prayers, all the yeses of our prayers are stored up for us in the steadfast love of God given to us in Christ. We've seen it. We've glimpsed it in the Gospels, and we'll see it face to face in its fullness in the new new heaven to come. Let's, uh, Let's pray.